Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their worlds. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. Finding the seed of benefit in every problem. Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. This is your host, Dale Dixon, along with Ron Price. Ron, great to be with you. It's good to be with you again, Dale. So each and every week, uh, we sit down and have this conversation with Ron, who is co-author of the book, The Complete Leader, and we dive into a specific area of interest uh, in the book, and this week we are looking at problem solving, and this is the second part of a conversation, so if you haven't had a chance to listen to part one, recommend you do that, Uh, but Ron, get us up to speed and summarize what we've discussed up to this point. Well, we started in our last conversation with the, um, I guess, acknowledgement that we all have problems as leaders. It's part of what gives us a job, solving those problems. They're a big part of why we lead. And then we talked about how every problem has some core of potential. And sometimes it's easy to see what the potential is. Other times it takes more work. Oftentimes problems are interruptions to what we had planned. So we have to develop this uh, tolerance or this willingness to understand that problems do open up more opportunities for us. And I like to say at the very least that when we solve those problems, it helps us to get ahead of other people who may be trying to go to the same prize that we're headed for. And and solving these problems are just part of the puzzle, sort of part of the game that you play to get to the prize. Last time we talked about the three initial steps in problem solving. First, do I really understand the problem? Secondly, what's the right time frame for solving this problem? Have I identified the context in which the problem should be solved? And number three, who should be involved in solving this problem? Is it me? Is it somebody else? Is it a group of people? How do we go about identifying the people who are best suited to solve that problem? So that's a quick summary of what we talked about in our first conversation. And uh, I'm going to remind folks of this great quote that you brought to us from Napoleon Hill, every problem, adversity or heartache has contained within it seeds of equivalent or greater benefit. And I'm encouraging folks to remind remind themselves of that. And what do you have in store for us today? Well, we're going to talk about solving linear problems, which is a particular type of problem. But before we jump into that, I want to dip into another problem. area of expertise that's very helpful to me when when we talk about problem solving. And it's the total quality management movement that began years ago back in Japan. When I was a kid growing up, if it said made in Japan, that usually meant that it was very poor quality. We would always joke it'd be broken in a month. And I remember the early days of Japanese cars being imported into the United States. If you had a breakdown, you often had to wait up to six weeks to get a part for your car, and it was usually a very expensive part because these parts were being shipped from Japan. Today, we can't even think of Japan as representing that. Today, cars made in Japan represent some of the best quality on the planet, some of the best engineering. And so how did they get from where they were to where they are today? Well, it was actually some Americans who found that the U.S. auto industry wasn't very open to their suggestions, so they started working with the Japanese, and they launched what was called the Total Quality Management Movement. It's grown today into things like Lean and Six Sigma, 
and, and programs like that. And when they think about problem solving, what they're thinking about is how do we get consistent quality? How do we get the same result over and over and over again? And they've described two different kinds of problems that they deal with in improving quality. The first they call common cause variation. In other words, what are the common causes that keep us from getting the consistency that we're looking for? And the second they refer to as special cause variations. What are the things that happen that, are, that don't repeat themselves or they're very erratic in the way that they happen that interfere with our ability to consistently get the result that we want? So I, I think this is really interesting when we look at today's topic of solving linear problems because linear problems tend to be fairly simple. They have one or just a few direct causes. And um, the way that we solve those problems is using what I would refer to as the scientific method. So the interesting thing I learned during the work that I've done over the years in total quality management is that if you don't first decide whether it's a common cause problem, usually driven by systems or processes that have some fault in them and that we need to fix the system in order to solve the problem long-term, or the way that you solve a special cause problem, special cause variation is something that's erratic one-off and how we deal with it is quite a bit differently. If you don't understand that and understand what kind of a problem you're dealing with, our tendency as leaders is to want to get in and meddle or what we refer to as tamper with the problem instead of really fixing it. So let, let me just give you a quick example of that deal because I know I might be talking a language that's a little bit foreign to some of our listeners. Um, let's say that I'm on my way to work. The question is, does it always take me exactly 20 minutes and 10 seconds to get to work every day? Or some days does it take 19 minutes and other days it takes 21 minutes? And if so, why the difference? Why the variation in how long it takes me to get to work? Well, we would say we would normally define that as a common cause variation. There's something in the system of how I get to work that makes it very difficult for me to consistently get there at exactly the same time. And a little bit of variance there is okay, but I might want to improve that and, and consistently get there in 18 minutes, so what will I do? I'll look at the process that I go through in order to get to work. I'll treat it as if it's a problem that I wanna to get to work in 18 minutes instead of sometimes being 21 minutes. And I'll think about the route I take, I'll think about the pattern of the traffic lights, I'll think about the amount of traffic that I might run into on one road compared to another. These are all ways of working to solve a problem by using a scientific approach of looking at the system and experimenting with it. And we'll dig into that in more detail later. On the other hand, if I'm headed to work and there's an accident on the highway, and as a result, all traffic has come to a stop, and now it's going to take me an hour to get to work instead of the normal 20 minutes, give or take a minute and a half or two. That's what I call a special cause problem. It's something that's erratic. It doesn't happen every day. Now, if... I find that most days there's an accident on the highway, then I'm going to say, oh, now it's become common cause and I'm going to find a different route. I'm going to totally change the system. But just because there was an accident one day that made it take me an hour to get to work is not a reason for me to go in and tamper with my process, tamper with my system for how I get there. So we're going to get into a deeper talk about how you solve linear problems, but I found that it's important for leaders to first define, am I dealing with a common cause problem or a special cause problem? 
because we oftentimes as leaders look at a common cause problem that's driven by a system and we think, well, people just have to be more accountable. They just have to be more responsible. One of, one of the ways I think of this is, well, millennials just have to have better work ethic. <laughs> and we think that just by changing one thing, we're going to fix it when we don't really understand what's causing the problem and we end up tampering or meddling instead of really taking a deeper look and coming up with a solution that's going to last and actually improve things for us in the long run. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking um, about the challenges that this brings in business, especially when you come up with a special cause solution. I'm sorry, when you come up with a common cause solution to a special cause problem. And I, that's where you know an example would be an employee does something, makes a wrong choice, does something wrong. And so a whole set of rules and pages are added to the employee handbook because of that one situation, that one-off, yeah. unique haps, and the impact and unintended consequences of that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And so often we create all these rules to deal with the few exceptions not understanding that those rules are going to have a negative impact on the norm and they're going to make everybody's work that much harder. One example of this, and I don't want to get too uh, uh, opinionated about this, but one example of this is that the Small Business Administration published a report a few years back saying that the average small business person spends $15,000 a year per employee just dealing with regulations that the federal government has created. And how many of those regulations are actually solving a problem in that business? And how many of them are just extra work that created more problems than they solved? So it's a great example of what you're talking about. We have a special problem. Instead of trying recognizing it as such and dealing with it that way, we think, well, we need a new system. We need a new set of policies and rules. And before you know it, the rules are ruling the roost. <laughs> <laughs> So you've mentioned scientific approach a couple times. Let's dive into what that means and in, in the application. Yeah, so using a scientific approach is where you have a very specific process for understanding and then responding to a problem. So it, it begins with doing a root cause analysis. In other words, what you're trying to do is get to the bottom of what's causing the problem. And I believe the approach I take when I'm working with a problem is that I never see the root cause at the beginning of the analysis. What I see are the symptoms. The symptoms are visible. Normally, we call it root cause because it's under the surface. And we need to dig deeper to understand it. So you have to understand the context of what you're dealing with. Oftentimes, when we're looking at a problem, what we want to understand is what process is this problem a part of when we're working in linear problems with leaders we do something that we call process mapping we say i'd like to understand the task at the beginning of this situation and the outcome at the end so i want a beginning and an end and then inside of those parameters we want to identify every task or every step that's taken and where there may be bottlenecks or where there may be the need to go backwards instead of forwards, we want to have a clear picture of the whole process so that we can then get to what the root cause is. So then you, once you understand that process, then you start collecting data and studying the data and seeing whether, in fact, you really do understand the process 
or it's something other than what you anticipated. And if you have a linear problem, then eventually you're going to be able to see where, the, where, where things are getting hung up, where things are going backwards or where you're making poor decisions. And you can begin to now prescribe and come up with solutions that are going to work. So as you get into that process of root cause analysis, there's some very specific tools that have been developed over the years that work well to get you to understanding what the root cause is. So let's dive in then to diagnosis. And so I started by saying that building a map of what's actually happening is a great place to start. The, the next tool that we often use was popularized by Toyota. It's called the five whys. So you look at a problem and you ask yourself, why is that happening? And you get an answer and you say, well, now why is that? And you just keep saying why five times and it helps you to get past the symptoms, deeper than the symptoms and get closer to the root of the problem because we always start by observing symptoms and then work deeper. So it's amazing if you just start asking why five times and don't assume that you got to the solution, often you will uncover more factors and eventually get down to something that's at the starting point of what caused that problem. We call that the five whys. Another way of doing this that was popularized by the Japanese is called the fishbone analysis approach to root cause. So what's a fishbone analysis? Well, if you think about a fish's skeleton, you think of the backbone of the fish as being a statement of the problem. This is the problem. And then you have all of these bones that are going off diagonally off of the backbone. And you talk about what are the different symptoms or what are the different factors that we can identify that are related to this problem. And then there may be smaller bones that go off of those diagonal bones. And so those are additional things that we learn. So if you just start collecting all that you can observe about the problem using this kind of a model, this kind of a map, it tends to get you to go deeper and to uncover or recognize things that you might not have recognized. And oftentimes it leads you to come back and change the basic statement of the problem itself because of what you've learned going through that process. So you do that and now you've gotten to a point where you think maybe you understand the problem and it's time for you to start to prescribe. What are we going to do? And again, we're dealing with linear problems where the scientific method is going to work. It's going to uncover first the symptoms, then the underlying causes and the impacts, and then it's going to lead us to some things that we can experiment with. So the scientific approach, you're always thinking about experiment and observe, learn, experiment again, observe and learn. And in industry, this was popularized by Walter Schuhart back in the 1920s. He called it the PDCA model. And what he meant was P stood for plan, plan an experiment, develop an experiment that you think will help you to determine whether or not you've got a solution to the problem. Then the D stood for do, run the experiment and observe it. So the C stands for check or sometimes it goes to PDSA in some companies today. So the C stands for check or the S stands for study. So now you study the data, you study what happened when you ran your experiment, and then the A stands for act. Now what are you going to do differently based on what you learn, on what you learn in the experiment? And with linear problems, you might not get the perfect solution the first time, but if you plan and then you do it and then you study it or check what happened, and then you act again and you keep running that cycle, you'll get better and better and better. 
And here's how you come up with a prescription that's going to work and hopefully gives you the ability to solve the problem long term. So if we understand that we're dealing with a linear problem that's more of a common cause problem, it's driven by processes and systems, the way we do things, this is a method that often works very effectively to help you solve a problem, not just immediately, but to solve a problem so that it won't come back and rear its ugly head again and again in the future. Hmm. Well, another favorite quote of mine is prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Boy, isn't that true? And <laughs> it gets me thinking about this and you've given us some great ways to accurately diagnose. Uh, but I want to come back to the, the word choice here and help me understand this idea of a linear problem. What do you, what do you mean by linear problem. And so the idea of a linear problem is that it's probably um, driven by a finite set of factors. It's not overly influenced by different opinions. It's something that will yield to this scientific method because you're uncovering one or more actions or one or more problems with uh, product quality or things like that that if you study them and experiment, you can get to an answer in a relatively short period of time and it doesn't have too much complexity. You might remember that Toyota had problems years ago where people thought that maybe the gas pedal was uh, deficient getting stuck and people couldn't stop their cars and there were some serious accidents. And uh, it caused quite a, at the time, it caused quite a big amount of noise about Toyota losing its quality. Well, they ultimately, after all the media and everything had passed over, they went back and studied and found out, in fact, it had nothing to do with the accelerator. But they did discover two big weaknesses, two big problems in Toyota's system. The first problem was Toyota had become complacent. They'd become arrogant because they'd had so many years of high-quality vehicles and raves, and they'd become the standard of quality around the world that they'd gotten a little bit lazy and they had become less transparent between top management and the people who were working in the production of the cars themselves. The second thing that they discovered, and this comes to this question of linear versus nonlinear, the second thing they discovered was that the systems for assuring quality that they had developed weren't working anymore. And why weren't they working? Because the building of an automobile had become exponentially more complex than it was when they created the systems. Today, any automobile that you buy in the world, the parts have been assembled by other companies other than the auto manufacturer. So you might oftentimes have as many as a hundred different suppliers or vendors that are building some subcomponent, some subset of that car, and then the auto manufacturer brings the whole thing together. So now we have what I call a nonlinear problem because you've got people involved that are outside of the control of management. They're outside of the control of the quality assurance people inside of the automaker. And what Toyota discovered was they had so many parts of that car being manufactured outside of the walls of Toyota that the systems inside of Toyota weren't enough to ensure quality. So that's a great example of a nonlinear problem. It gains complexity. It's got a lot of moving parts, and now you've got to come up with new ways of solving problems because the linear problem-solving uh, formulas are no longer working. 
So that's what we'll talk about in our next conversation. I was going to say that sounds like a perfect segue into encouraging folks to join us for the next edition. And if you haven't done so already, be sure and subscribe to this podcast so that you are notified when that next uh, next edition of the podcast is released. Any final words for us? Summary. Well, let's go back to the simple steps because we really have to keep coming back to these. Take the time to understand the problem. Today, we've been talking more about how you can understand different kinds of problems. Ask yourself about the time frame for solving the problem. Ask yourself who else should be involved. Those are three fundamental steps that will always serve you. When we get together next time, we're going to talk about what I refer to as wicked messes. Mm. These are nonlinear problems that are a lot more complex and a lot more difficult to solve. Great challenges. <laughs> Fantastic. Ron Price, co-author of the book, The Complete Leader. You can find the book anywhere books are sold. It's a great book for you to get for you, your team, and to work through to grow your leadership acumen in this journey. If you haven't been to the website, please visit thecompleteleader.org for a host of resources that will help you on this leadership journey. This is the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.